It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Diane Feinstein, dead at 90. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. The longest-serving woman in the U.S. Senate and the longest-serving senator in California history has passed away. Shannon Bream of Fox News says Diane Feinstein was a political trailblazer. She was breaking glass ceilings back in the 60s. I mean, the things that she did, she was the first in a lot of things that she did. She was a servant to her state and to her country. Whether you agreed with her or not, she garnered a lot of respect on both sides of the aisle just for her staying power. CBS's Tom Fody. Diane Feinstein started in local politics. I was mayor of San Francisco for nine years. Before moving on to the U.S. Senate in 1992. Mrs. Feinstein, I. The California Democrat took up many causes, including gun laws. Then Senator Joe Biden credited her leadership in sponsoring the 1994 federal assault weapons ban. But Feinstein's recent health problems and long Senate absences were too much for some members of her party. Congressman Rokana saying she needed to resign before the end of her term. She's representing 40 million people in California. We need someone who's going to be on top of the job. Tom Foti with that report, California Governor Gavin Newsom, who will appoint a successor to the six-term senator, says Feinstein had a fighting spirit right till the end. I'll tell you, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where she would call me up, read me the riot act on issues. Again, that wasn't the black and white movie days. That was that was not too long ago. Once again, Diane Feinstein, the longest-serving woman in the U.S. Senate, died today at the age of 90. Crunch time for Congress. That's the other big story today. Barring a miracle, the government is likely to shut down. Washington lawmakers will be burning that proverbial midnight oil tonight, hoping to prevent that from happening. New Jersey Democrat Josh Gottheimer. This is just a total disaster uh, for the American people. Funding for the war in Ukraine, one of the key sticking points that's keeping House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from being able to seal a deal with less than two days to go before the deadline. One thing if I hope you realize about me is I never give up. Conservatives want more money for the border, but if there's a shutdown, 19,000 border agents would get laid off. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Shutting down the government is a choice, and it's a choice that would make the crisis at our southern border even worse. If there's a shutdown, the Coast Guard and airport employees wouldn't get paid either, even though members of Congress would still collect a paycheck. From TSA checkpoints to airport control towers, frontline workers who keep the flying public safe could be forced to work without pay, even as members of Congress continue to take home a paycheck. Correspondent Tom Costello says passengers won't feel the effect of the shutdown immediately, but they will in a couple weeks. People who don't get paid to come into work sometimes don't come into work. Getting a passport could be hard. Social security checks will keep flowing. Medicare, Medicaid benefits will continue. There are some programs like the Women, Infants, Children, and the SNAP program could actually run into a problem if the delay lasts, say, more than 30 days. Business analyst Jill Schlesinger, the nationwide auto workers strike continues and now it's starting to get real for a whole lot of people. Reporter Maggie Vespa. Obviously the pressure is mounting. Only a matter of time, experts say, 
festival. Car prices soar and parts run low. The head of the United Auto Workers Union went live on Facebook today to announce another round of walkouts. Reporter Matt Bigler has more on the fallout. Some mechanics are starting to worry about the auto parts supply chain. The chain has sort of stopped. Automotive technology professor Brian Hagopian says UAW workers at a GM distribution center near Reno are now walking the picket lines. He says if the strike goes on much longer, drivers may not be able to get their cars repaired. So dealerships will literally be yards of cars that there's no parts for. The UAW's been on strike for two weeks. They want a pay raise and a four-day work week. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer's issued subpoenas for the president's son and brother. As the impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden gets underway, the first hearing was held yesterday. There's overwhelming evidence that Joe Biden was involved in all of these shady business schemes. That's a problem. That's a threat to our national security. Still, Democrats call the investigation a huge nothing burger. This is an embarrassment, an embarrassment to the time and people of this country. I will tell you what the president has been guilty of. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally, and that is the only evidence that they have brought forward. Republicans claim the president lied about his involvement in his son's business dealings, and the Biden family got rich by Hunter selling his father's influence overseas. A former mover and shaker in the Republican Party raising some eyebrows today for suggesting the following about the 2024 race for the White House. This race is over. Donald Trump will be the nominee. They might as well quit having the various debates because they don't work. They're not helping anybody. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich. I mean, Trump and some of these polls, Trump is like 43 points ahead of the next person. He's going to be the nominee. And I think it tells you how terrified the left is. They're doing everything they can legally because they can't do anything politically. And remember, they're not just attacking Trump. They're trying to block Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I mean, the Biden model is if I can keep everybody off the ballot and I have no opponent, I'll probably win. Ginrich on the Ingram angle last night. The border crisis continues. New video from overnight shows throngs of migrants scaling a fence to get into San Diego. Bill Wells is a mayor in Southern California. I talked to people on the Border Patrol who tell me about 90 percent of the people that are coming across the border are single military-age males. Um, we don't know who they are. We don't know why they're here. There have been 7 million unlawful entries into this country from Mexico since President Biden took office. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton calling for an investigation into former pandemic point man Anthony Fauci and his relationship with China during COVID's heyday. This virus almost certainly came from a lab for which China has still not been held responsible. That's why it still matters because we need to hold China responsible for unleashing this plague on the world. Cotton claims Fauci may have tried to influence the CIA and its investigation into the origins of COVID. We need to get to the bottom of exactly what his relationship was with China and what he may have been doing to try to influence the quality of intelligence assessments about that lab. Dr. Fauci retired from the NIH with a net worth of more than $11 million. A soaking rain on the eastern seaboard today will cause some localized flooding, not for us, but for a whole 
lot of people, says meteorologist David Parkinson. There will be areas that will get six or eight inches of rain in the span of the day, and that is a near certain recipe for flash flooding. Our listening area stays mostly dry except for eastern Pennsylvania. Still to come on the noon report for a Friday, more on that bus crash in Monroe County, New York, the dangers of carbon monoxide poisoning, and background checks for bullets. One sheriff says he's not a fan. We'll hear from him coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams, and we're looking toward a weekend that will promise plentiful sunshine and warmth. I'll be back to spell things out in the forecast. Coming up in 10 minutes. All right, we'll see you then. Thank you, Kevin. The man killed in a fiery crash involving a Wayne Central school bus in Webster, New York this week has been identified as 73-year-old William Fierstein. Police say that Webster man failed to stop at a stop sign and rammed into that bus. The bus then burst into flames moments after all 22 students, two chaperones, and the driver got off alive. As I was driving up there, all I could see it was the smoke from the fire going up 250 and my stomach sank fearing the worst. That's volunteer firefighter Steve Gallagher, who is also president of the Wayne School Board of Education. He responded to the scene. The whole thing's a terrible tragedy. It really is, and it could have been a lot worse, and it wasn't, and we're thank, thank God for that. Gallagher says grief counselors are at the school today to make sure the kids involved in the horrific wreck get the help that they may need. Wayne, we're a big family, and we're not a huge school district. Every grade, almost every kid knows each other, so it, it's a big family, and we want to make sure that we take care of them for the physical and mental pieces of it and for us it's all hands on deck to get them whatever help they need. The students were returning home from a field trip when the collision happened Wednesday afternoon. The driver of the car was killed at the scene. New York is officially beginning the transition toward electric school buses. Here's Family Life Sarah Harness. Yeah, the first $100 million for the buses was just released by the state as fleets transition to zero emission vehicles as required by the state's 20 19 Climate Act. Schools will be prohibited from purchasing buses that burn diesel fuel starting in 2027, and all school buses on the road must be zero emission by 2035. Diesel buses cost $130,000. Electric buses cost $400,000 each. Some lawmakers say the strain on the power grid by going electric outweighs the small environmental benefit. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. A new proposal in Pennsylvania would recognize the role that coroners play as first responders. This week, the House Labor and Industry Committee approved a measure that extends to coroners the same death benefits that are received by police officers, EMTs, and firefighters who are killed in the line of duty. The Buffalo, New York Fire Department is honoring the fallen firefighter Jason Arno by naming two new trucks at after him, Fire Commissioner William Rinaldo. Well, we know logically that firefighting is a dangerous profession. We typically don't expect tragedy to happen in our own department. When it does, the impact is devastating and far-reaching. Firefighter Jason Arnault made a conscious decision to work at arguably one of the busiest fire companies in the city. He possessed and displayed the mental and physical toughness and the warrior spirit that made him one of the best and brightest this department has to offer. Arno was killed March the 1st in a four-alarm fire in downtown Boston. 
Buffalo. A one-year-old girl from Syracuse has succumbed to carbon monoxide poisoning after falling asleep inside a running vehicle. Two adults are in the hospital. Onondaga County DA William Fitzpatrick. No criminal charges are going to be issued because they don't serve any function in this particular case. There's no reason for punishment. This father, if he survives, is going to have lost his spouse and his child. Fitzpatrick says the family was offered to stay in a hotel but refused the night before they were discovered in that vehicle. Pennsylvania U.S. Senate candidate Dave McCormick has removed from his campaign website a saying that he is, quote, staunchly pro-life, end quote. The McCormick camp says the decision has nothing to do with his views on abortion, which he very much opposes. The former hedge fund manager launched his second campaign for the Senate as Republican leaders mull a shift in messaging when it comes to the sanctity of human life issue. New York sheriffs are frustrated with the state's new law on background checks for ammo purchases. Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple, a Democrat, says the new law is a burden and will not improve public safety. This isn't going to keep New Yorkers safe. And again, I think this is more of a reactionary thing. Apple says a retired high-ranking state trooper was recently denied buying ammo after passing a background check to purchase a firearm. Guns aren't much good without bullets, he says. Governor Hochul and the Democrat-led state legislature insist these reforms will save lives, but the sheriff says the jury's still out on that one. They believe it'll, it'll make people safe. I just, you know, I don't really know how, but we'll see what happens. Apple argues that people who commit gun-related crimes do not obey gun laws, so the only ones being punished here are those that do obey the laws. Next month, the U.S. Supreme Court may issue an emergency ruling on New York's controversial concealed carry laws. While predictions about the fall foliage can be tricky at best, it does appear, for now at least, that Pennsylvania's dazzling display of autumn colors will not disappoint this year. The Department of Conservation and Natural Resources said summer rain and moderate temperatures have set the stage for a very colorful display. A handful of counties bordering New York are approaching their best color already, while the eastern part of the state hasn't seen any change yet. Peak color throughout much of the Keystone State should center around mid-October. The reports are compiled every week from foresters across the state, and the full report is made available through the DCNR website. Terry Diener, Family Life News. Thank you, Terry. Today's a day to celebrate all things coffee. Experts say moderate coffee consumption can help prevent disease as well as depression. Two-thirds of us U.S. drink coffee on a daily basis. Most of us, it's about three cups a day. Here's Family Life's Brian Query. We celebrate coffee every day, but on September 29th, the nation celebrates National Coffee Day. But it wasn't always celebrated. In fact, if it weren't for the Boston Tea Party in 1773, Americans may never have swapped tea for coffee. When the colonies revolted against King George III's hefty tea tax, tea was out and coffee was in. Things really started to percolate in the mid-1800s when coffee began being sold regularly in the West. And today, the U.S. coffee shop market has grown to an over $45 billion industry. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you very much, Brian. Your Friday Sports is next on the Family Life Noon Report. 
Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the teams with the best records in the bigs just keep rolling along. The Baltimore Orioles shut out the Red Sox 2-0 to win their first American League East crown since 2014. It was also their 100th win on the season. The Atlanta Braves picked up win number 103 with a 5-3 victory over the Cubs, sweeping the series against Chicago. In the win, Matt Olson hit his Major League leading 54th home run. The Braves now have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. With the loss, Chicago fell out of the third wildcard spot. They are now a half game behind Miami, who did not finish their game with the Mets. The Marlins scored two runs in the top of the ninth to take a 2-1 lead over the New Yorkers, but then the rains came and they never got to complete the game. If the game needs to be completed to determine a playoff berth, it will be resumed where it left off. If it's not needed, the Mets would get the win with a 1-0 score. Arizona failed to clinch a playoff berth last night. They fell to the White Sox 3-1. In the American League, the Blue Jays shut out the Yankees 6-0. Toronto a game ahead of Houston and two up on the Mariners in that second wild card slot. Seattle inched a little closer to the Astros as they knocked off the Texas Rangers 3-2. Football in the Thursday night matchup. The Lions marched into Green Bay and dominated the Packers, especially in the first half, taking a 27-3 lead at the half. Detroit kind of cruised in from there, winning it 34-20. And in golf, Ryder Cup action is underway in Italy. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come, high and dry, our weather watchwords this weekend. The Capital Connection crew is back in action. And at the end of the broadcast, Wally the Alligator. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In September, most U.S. states released their public school report cards. These reports were intended to evaluate the quality of education that's being offered across the state. By federal law, these report cards must measure academic performance and graduation rates. Of course, these report cards are only helpful if they make sense, but many don't. For example, Ohio's Department of Education recently stopped using letter grades on its statewide school report cards. Among the reasons for that is that lawmakers thought that an F just sounded too harsh. Now, the Ohio school report cards based on a star system. However, like real stars that seem to just float in midair, this star system is based on a made-up and confusing point system. According to the chart that quote-unquote explains the scores, four and a half stars could be equal to 4.125 points, but not lower than 3.625 points. You figure it out. Now, U.S. schools have been struggling since well before the pandemic, but things have only gotten worse since. A few weeks ago, the White House sounded the alarm about the chronic absenteeism in public schools, something that skyrocketed during the pandemic and has not significantly improved since, and the strong correlation of absenteeism to the worsening math and reading scores across the country. Only 32% of American fourth graders, for example, are considered proficient in reading. 
Still, unless the problem is properly understood, it will never be helpfully addressed. State report cards should be helpful in diagnosing the crises that face public education, but they just aren't. In fact, they seem almost intentionally unhelpful. For example, last year's report card for Ohio rated almost 90% of school districts as, quote, meeting state standards. However, the very same report card, at least if you know where to click on it, reported that almost 40% of Ohio third graders are not proficient in reading. More than partly to blame here is the shift in just how we think about education across the board, a shift that has trickled down from institutions of higher learning to now infect public schools. As T.S. Eliot observed, every philosophy of education emerges from a philosophy of humanity. And in our context, educators spend an inordinate amount of their preparation on educational theory and pedagogy. This has shifted the focus of their preparation away from the what and the why of education to the how. And the result is a generation of teachers fully up on the social and emotional dynamics of learning, but who nevertheless fail to teach second graders basic phonics. Now, of course, there are many admirable teachers in both public and private schools across America, teachers that are concerned about what matters most and skilled at passing it on to the next generation. What we're talking about here is a systematic problem, a crisis in public education that runs deep and obscuring the problem with these kind of report cards in an attempt to just protect the institutions whose administrators view an F as sounding too harsh. Well, that just won't help. No, education needs to be rethought at a worldview level. If human beings are made in the image of God, then to know is to know the mind of the Creator. It's from this solid ground that ancient Christians gave the world the very concept of universal education in the first place. God has indeed revealed Himself and indeed wants to be known, and not just by the elite or by the rich or by the clergy. Then real knowledge is possible, and kids should be treated as knowers, not as social experiments or many political activists or trusted authorities on everything from gender to climate change. The White House's press release on chronic absenteeism ended with an assertion that the road to recovery runs through the classroom. Now, obviously, kids will have to show up if they're going to learn. But what happens when they do show up matters even more. Specifically, the what and the why, not just the where or the how. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. All right, John, thank you very much for that. It is Friday, folks, the 29th of September. And you're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. And welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gere at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Well, Mike, I'll start with you after a long summer break. The House is back in session in Harrisburg. But still no deal on the three month late state budget. What's going on in Harrisburg? What are you keeping an eye on? It's a really contentious time in Harrisburg with uh, what happened with the end of the budget session in June when the governor reneged on his promise on school choice. The progressive Democrats in the House of Representatives are continuing to push their agenda, things like hate crimes. They're looking to uh, advance marijuana legislation. Mixing all of that stuff in the budget time here really makes some question in all our minds about when it is eventually going to settle out. Yeah, this is starting to get real for a whole lot of 
folks starts to impact their bottom line. I don't know what the record yes. is for a late budget, but uh, they, they may be challenging it there in Harrisburg. Uh, Christmas time, uh, is, uh, Ed Rendell took us into Christmas time in, in late budgets in the past. So gotcha. this is not that record yet. All right. We'll see if they can get there. That's the record nobody wants to break there in okay. Pennsylvania. Jason, the migrant crisis is a huge story in New York. The governor seems to be rolling out the welcome mat on one hand, while on the other hand telling folks she's told CNN last week, don't come. So which is it? And we also heard there may be a special session to address this. Is that going to ever happen? Well, as to which is it, I think it's both. I mean, frankly, that's why the governor is talking out both sides of her mouth. On one hand, she wants to uh, impress the progressive left and have open arms as a sanctuary state. On the other hand, uh, she recognizes the financial burden that this is to the state and that the polling shows this is not favorable among the voters. And so I think the governor wants to have it both ways. Regarding that special session, though, uh, it's anybody's guess. I don't think there's agreement in the legislature as far as how to proceed on this matter. And until there's some kind of agreement, uh, the governor is unlikely to see that legislature back in Albany. All right, let's talk election uh, reforms because there's some major doings on that front in both states. Michael, Donald Trump has blasted the, the new automatic voter registration law uh, that the, the governor inked into existence last week. How does this law undermine election integrity, in your opinion? Well, you know, Donald Trump's not the only one to criticize this action by Governor Shapiro. We've had members of the state house and Senate calling Shapiro out for doing this unilaterally without legislative action, saying that it's beyond the governor's power to do that. You know, there's plenty of questions that have been raised about the election process in Pennsylvania with the, the mail-in balloting that started just a few years ago, and then also with the late vote counts that happened here. So adding this to the mix really does undermine people's trust in the electoral process here in Pennsylvania. Real quick follow-up, it looks like they're going to move up the primary from April to March next year. Are you in favor of them doing that? Well, it makes sense in terms of uh, making Pennsylvania more of a player in the primary elections. We're a big swing state when it comes to the general elections, but sort of an also ran when it comes to primary elections. So doing this at least will put Pennsylvania on the map, bring the candidates into our state to see who the voters get to choose to be the uh, the nominees in the fall. And not to be outdone, Jason, Governor Hochul also signing controversial election reforms into law. This one's called the Early Mail Voter Act. What concerns you the most about this legislation? Well, the biggest concern is the fact that the voters rejected a very similar proposal in a public referendum only two years ago. Uh, that ballot process was rejected in 2021 uh, by a significant margin. And so now only two years later, uh, the Democrats in the legislature and Governor Kathy Hochul are looking to bring it through legislative action. If they could do it through legislative action, why do they require a constitutional amendment two years ago? It seems like this is an end run around the will of the voters. All right. Uh, moving on, Michael. There was legislation, I believe the Senate Education Committee took this up, that would ensure parents see more of what their children are taught at school. What chance does this bill have, realistically? And do you think this is an issue that is worth campaigning on in the Commonwealth? I think it is. It's Senate Bill 340 that was uh, sponsored by uh, Senator Doug Mastriano, which would require schools in Pennsylvania to post the online curriculum and textbooks that are used in classrooms to teach students. So we absolutely 
strongly support this legislation because it recognizes the important and crucial role of the parents in the education and upbringing of children. Regarding your question about whether it stands a chance, you know, it's moving quickly in the Senate, but the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, which is virtually a tie right now between Republicans and Democrats, has much less of a uh, positive fate there. And then Governor Shapiro, who knows what he'll do on education issues. He's kind of spoken out of both sides of his mouth and acted in that same way. Yeah. Uh, While we're talking education, Jason, you're writing about this on your website. Something happened in the Syracuse School District that has given you some concern. It has to do with the building use policy there that you argue discriminates against people of faith. How so? Yeah, Bob, uh, back in mid-September, the Board of Education of the Syracuse City School District uh, passed a policy that requires anybody who uses their facilities to adhere to the district's code of conduct. Well, that includes a non-discrimination notice that calls for equal access to educational opportunities regardless of sexual orientation. Now, the backstory on this is that a church had been renting the facilities, but due to some parents that had raised uh, their concerns about a church meeting on the grounds, uh, the board passed this policy, and they're now telling Bible believers that they have no ability to rent facilities in the Syracuse City Schools. Mm. Well, let's talk about sanctity of human life. Michael, I know that big March for Life is coming up soon in Harrisburg, but there's another issue out of Philadelphia that our listeners should know about. I think they're called the Pennsylvania Women's Center. Apparently, they do more abortions per year than any clinic in the Commonwealth, and they've requested that the state loosen some regulations here. What's going on in Philadelphia? Yeah, that that center there does uh, thousands of abortions every year, and uh, if they receive the exemption that they're looking for, it would, in my view, be a major step back to the days of Kermit Gosnell and gruesome late-term abortions that should never be repeated. Mm. What they're looking for, this regulation requires that the remains from abortion be examined by independent pathologists. And to skip that process, it's going to save them money. That's why they're doing it. But it also opens the door for late-term abortions well beyond the six-month limit that exists now in Pennsylvania. It's gruesome and it's wrong. Gotcha. Well, uh, we've talked about this issue before, but it got a little boost again, Jason. The slave reparation debate in New York. Seventy lawmakers have now asked that the governor sign off on this. She's got a rule soon here before the end of the year about whether to set up this task force. I thought it was interesting that New York banned slavery 30 years before the Emancipation Proclamation. So why is the Empire State even going down this road? Well, I think we live in a state that tends to view things through the lens of identity politics. And certainly that's what's driving the legislature these days. I expect the governor will sign this legislation. It is a reparation study bill, as it's referred to. Uh, legislators are quick to say reparations could be as simple as an apology to those who had ancestors that were involved in this. However, I think really the reality is they'll go much further than that. You look at what California is talking about, and now New York as well. There was discussion of reparation payments to the families of those who uh, have descendants as slaves. It would be a costly measure for the state of New York. And frankly, I'm not sure it brings the racial healing that hmm. many are seeking. All right, well said. Well, we saved the best for last, Michael. John Fetterman shorts. Uh, they call it the Fetterman rule. I couldn't believe this. I had to watch the video to see it for myself. He actually presided over the U.S. Senate last week in shorts. Is he making a mockery of the Senate? And do you think that uh, they are going to act to overturn the Fetterman rule? Well, to be uh, short, yes and yes. Uh, Senator <laughs> is making a mockery of the Senate. And yes, I do think it's time to reverse course on this Fetterman rule that is really denigrating that institution. I had someone tell me yesterday, it all started when we stopped dressing up for church. Mm. Now look where that's led. Oh, my goodness. But hey, we've got a new word for you. It's called Quimonian, Quimonian loathings. 
You're writing about this as well, Jason, on your website. What are Governor Hochul's Cuomonian loathings when it comes to social conservatives? Yeah, on September 18th, Governor Hochul uh, delivered remarks to the Clinton Global Initiative, speaking largely to the transgender uh, issue here in New York. Um, but the problem is the governor referred to those of us uh, social conservatives, Christians who hold to a biblical view of sexuality, as dark forces, far-right extremists, and people whose hearts are filled with bigotry. Uh, that is reminiscent of former Governor Andrew Cuomo and how he referred to social conservatives. So we see the trend is continuing in that left Democratic Party. And again, if you want to learn more about this issue or any other that we talked about on today's program, Jason, you have a wonderful website where folks can go and learn more about New Yorkers for constitutional freedoms. What is that, sir? AlbanyUpdate.com. Stay informed on all the issues in Pennsylvania as well. Michael Gear, your website, sir. PAFamily.org. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime, familylife.org. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast for this afternoon. Staying rather cloudy and unsettled across much of the area. More showers expected, mainly eastern Pennsylvania into New Jersey. The remainder of the region will see nothing more than a light shower or sprinkle and cloud cover breaking for a little sun. High temperatures... 60s and low 70s, coolest in eastern Pennsylvania. Later tonight, partly cloudy, patchy fog, low temps 50s. Tomorrow, a cloudy, foggy start in parts of eastern Pennsylvania. Otherwise, a good deal of sunshine and nice, the high in the upper 60s to middle 70s. And Sunday across the board, sunny and warm with high temperatures in the 70s to near 80. We'll take it. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, did you hear about the Philadelphia Phillies fan who showed up at the ballpark this week with his emotional support, Alligator? Hershey native Joey Henney and his five-foot gator named Wally on a leash. But that wasn't enough to sway security at Citizens Bank Park. Henney was not allowed in. He spoke recently to CBS's Steve Hartman about his affection for the alligator. There's a special bond between you two. Very special. He is my emotional support alligator. I'll get lonely and he seems to sense that stuff and he'll come up and he'll give me a hug and makes me feel loved. The Phillies do not permit emotional support alligators, so Wally, who was rescued from Disney World back in 2015, had to watch the game from outside the stadium as Philly clinched the top wildcard seat with a victory over cross-state rival Pittsburgh. Maybe next time, Wally, that's the world we live in, Friday, September 29th. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.